0: For 40 years, and it's perhaps better known on the East Coast since it's based in Pennsylvania, in Hanover, near the town of Gettysburg, which you've probably heard of from the major Civil War battle that's not far from where our home office is. Um, and we, I wanted to share a little bit about IPM, so I brought some materials that are in the back. Uh, as I said, we're celebrating our 40th anniversary and remembering all that God has done and looking forward to the next things that God has for us. We believe that it's been built by God's grace to build for God's glory. And so we are uh, excited about these 40 years and what God's done, looking forward to what's next. That's in the back. Feel free to take one of those. I'd also ask that you um, pick up one of our prayer cards, if I could pick it up. Pick up one of our prayer cards in the back there. Uh, you get to see my lovely wife and our Children, six boys, two girls. Uh, it was actually three boys and a girl, and then three boys and a girl. I'd love to repeat the pattern, but I'm not sure I have enough strength for that. So uh, we're thankful for the eight that we have and grateful for what God's given us. Uh, we started off in ministry with IPM 20 years ago after we got married and went to the Middle East, where God used us to help start a church. a Bible college. I learned Arabic and got to minister there, and that was a a great joy. And then I got sick, and I was sick for about a year and a half, had to come back from the field, and um, God used that to expand our ministry. I began traveling as an international evangelist to a number of countries, and now serve as IPM's vice president of field ministries and the founder of the Next Door Nations program, which we began six years ago in the city of Indianapolis. In, In any calendar year, the Lord permits upward of 100 million people To come and visit this country or to move to this country from every nation on earth. Now, I've traveled to a lot of nations, and I would gladly travel to more. But when I'm thinking that way, God would have me go to the nations, and he's bringing the nations here. I ought to reach them here as well, wherever we find them. And increasingly, we're finding them here in this country. And so six years ago, we moved to Indianapolis and began what we call the Next Door Nations program. After a few years, I wrote this book. And I encourage you to get it on the ground floor of the complete works of Matt Barfield while it's still quite thin. Okay, so easy to read the complete works of Matt Barfield now. Uh, Maybe not later. I don't know. We'll see how that goes. But uh, we are working on a rewrite of this book because there's things that we've learned since uh, publishing this. And we want to help expand the idea. So uh, those are in the back. I I encourage you to pick those up for a donation. Um, whatever the Lord would have to give. We usually ask for about $10 for that, but uh, I don't want you to miss that. If you'd like to have a copy of that book, we have those available in the back. And uh, we wanted to encourage uh, Brother Ben and Sister Sarah because God has uniquely positioned them to reach the Rohingya people group that God has brought here. That is not a group that I was unaware of. We have missionaries serving in Myanmar who work up in the Chin Hills. I've been to Myanmar now three times. And it's one of my favorite places to go. The Chin Hills of Myanmar are revival country. And uh, God has done awesome things there. And it is an absolute delight to go and sing with them and preach with them and pray with them and see God work and see people saved. And even in the midst of the coup and the COVID uh, extremities they faced, uh, we're seeing churches still being built. We're seeing people uh, doing some great things. Even though villages are being burned down in some places, in other places we're still building churches. Um, so it's, it's a remarkable thing. It's amazing. My friends that are up there, when they heard about the Rohingya being here in Milwaukee, they were astounded. They said, every time we send someone to reach the Rohingya, they get kidnapped or killed. Uh, so there they are in Milwaukee. This is the chance to reach them. Uh, they're very excited about this. We have a Burmese church that meets on our campus down in Indianapolis. Uh, the largest Burmese church outside of Burma is in Indianapolis. And um, that's not the one that meets at our campus, but it is, it, there's a lot of Burmese there. And uh, the pastor, his name is Niling, I was talking to him about this opportunity. He said, I can't believe there's Rohingya there. That's, this is awesome. Uh, so this is not some small thing that you get to be a part of and see. Uh, this is a major thing. This is the chance. Uh, when I, the fall of Kabul took place this past summer, and we saw so many terrible things happening in Afghanistan, uh, and then realize that so many thousands are going to be coming here to the states. Uh, Fort McCoy was a major landing spot. Another major landing spot was Camp Atterbury, which is less than an hour from our church. So I started knocking on doors trying to get onto the base. And as it turned out, there was a man who came to our, comes to our church who is a captain in the army. And uh, he was able to get us on to kind of do a site survey. And we stumbled into a way to teach English there. And so we started teaching English every week and making contact with people, and now we have uh, an Afghan man that was at Atterbury that's now working at the Walmart next to our church, right? So uh, this is the... We have not had gospel exposure to so many hundreds of thousands of... or thousands, scores of thousands of Afghans like we do now, right? 75,000, 150,000, whatever the number is, they're now in this country. Uh, What happened there was a tragedy, but this is an incredible opportunity This is an incredible opportunity. The kind of things we would have to do to to get this level of gospel witness to that number of Afghans, beggars belief, and God just dropped them right here on us. Uh, I don't know if you've noticed this, but sometimes parents will go to great lengths, great extent, great crazy things to get their kids involved in in the activities they like. Uh, I've noticed that if dad likes baseball, he helps his son. You know, he gets a little wiffle ball, and he's, he's trying to make it as easy as possible. He puts the ball on a stick, right? And he says, just hit it, right? Just swing at it. Uh, I've seen parents who like to bowl get their kids into bowling, and, you know, they get the, they get the bumpers to fill the lane so you can't make a gutter bar, ball. You know, and they get that little, If you seen the ramp? You know, they'll put the ball on the ramp. All the kids do is, like, kind of nudge it, and now they've bowled, you know? And the parents make it all but impossible for the kid to fail. I feel like God's done that for us with the Great Commission. He told us to go to all nations, and now we're tripping over ourselves as they're all living around us. He doesn't want us to miss this. Don't miss this. Be a people that heard this command. Go ye therefore, make disciples, teach all nations, go to every ethnos, And if that's consuming our mind, and we're thinking, that's what I have to be doing, then as we go out and we find these nations, we find people who don't speak English quite the way we hoped. We don't get frustrated, we get excited. We're excited about that. We see somebody who thinks something different than I think, we're excited about that. Listen, the Scripture is able to withstand withering attack. It has done so for millennia. Christians are able to withstand withering attack from people who don't think anything like we believe. That's okay. That's not the problem. The problem is our wrong response to these opportunities. That's, that's the only problem in this thing. It has been a, you know, I, I consider it an honor to have grown up in a Baptist church. I was saved at a young age. I was trained in the scriptures every day of my life. And I'm, I'm so grateful for that. It has been a joy to take that to Muslim lands and Buddhist lands and Hindu lands. And I can tell you, this withstands incredible scrutiny. They can pick at it and poke at it and argue with it, and it still holds, and you can live by it in every place, in every culture, in every time. There's never a time this doesn't work, and the only shame is not trusting it, and so now we have this opportunity to look at people from all these nations. Uh, Yesterday, we had a lot of fun driving around and uh, visiting some of Ben and Sarah's friends, Uh, But bumping into some people that, you know, speak Arabic. I'm like, oh, this is great. I get to talk my language to these people. Um, And then, you know, just bumping into different people and, and seeing that God's brought people here on purpose. It lines up with his command to us to go and make disciples. So I'd like you to open up to Matthew 28, please. We'll start there and move forward as we see what the Lord did in the early church. Knowing that what he did for them, he surely can do for us. What he commanded them is surely incumbent upon us to obey. Matthew chapter 28. Uh, what do we call the Great Commission? Jesus comes in verse 18, spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. "...baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world." What I want to start with this morning is thinking about Jesus' great provision for us as we seek to be disciples who make disciples of all nations. As we ourselves are following in discipleship, obeying the Lord Jesus the way He's prescribed... And then seeing that multiplied in other people from all nations, what is his provision for that? We'll find that in the text this morning. Let's ask the Lord to bless us as we open his word. Father, we praise you for your goodness to us. We thank you that when we were lost, when we were your enemies, you sent your son to take our place and pay our sin debt. Lord Jesus, thank you for not withholding anything, giving up your own life for us. Lord, how can we keep anything back from you? And we ask now by your spirit that you would work in our hearts using your word. Spirit of God, would you teach us yourself? Would you guide us into truth as you've been sent to do? May we understand what you have here for us. May we walk in this newness of life that pleases you. Lord, we want to see your heart desire. We want to see all nations reached. We know that one day it will happen. And we want to be as much a part of it AS YOU WANT US TO BE. SO HELP US NOW TO UNDERSTAND, HELP OUR HEARTS TO BE YIELDED, AND MAY WE SERVE YOU IN A WAY THAT PLEASES YOU, IN A WAY THAT BRINGS MANY TO YOU. WE ASK IT IN JESUS' NAME, AMEN. WHEN WE THINK ABOUT THE GREAT COMMISSION, IT'S EASY TO GET OVERWHELMED. Uh, it is a big, big task. The world is a big, big place, getting bigger every year with over 7 billion people now. I remember when we tripped into 7 billion, when that number was was going across uh, the threshold, uh, I was in India at the time, and they estimated that the 7 billionth person was born in India while we were traveling there. I don't know how they figure all that out, but uh, at any rate, there were a lot of people there in India, and there's even more today. AND THERE'S MORE EVERY DAY. WHEN JESUS GAVE THIS COMMAND TO THE DISCIPLES, I DON'T THINK THEY COULD GET A CLEAREST GLIMPSE OF WHAT THAT TASK MEANT AS WE CAN. THEY DIDN'T HAVE GOOGLE MAPS. uh, THEY DIDN'T HAVE STATISTICS. THEY DIDN'T HAVE ALL THESE THINGS. uh, BUT THEY DID HAVE AN IDEA THAT THIS WAS A BIG TASK. JESUS COMES TO THEM AND SAYS THESE INCREDIBLE WORDS, GO YE THEREFORE AND TEACH ALL NATIONS. SO THERE'S A UNIVERSAL SCOPE In terms of the human geography, they're to go to every people group on earth. That's universal. No one's to be missed. Then he tells them to go and teach. All things whatsoever I've commanded you. When I was in college, uh, whenever there was a test, I was always cramming last minute trying to remember, what did the professor say? Did we cover this section? Do you have the notes? I, you look at, you look at uh, the disciples, consider the disciples for a minute, as they hear Jesus say, teach them everything I commanded you. And I could just see like Peter going, hey, John, did you write that down? Were you in class that day? Do you have the notes from that thing? Uh, can I remember all that Jesus commanded. Can I teach other people to observe this thing? How is that going to work? Whether it's because of the universal scope of the geography or the universal scope of the content they're supposed to teach, the disciples could have thought, there's no way we can do this. And I think this happens a lot in churches today. Where we look at, for whatever reason, whatever the the, the cause of this doubt is, we look at the task of the Great Commission and say, we in this room can't do this. Now, we were discussing in Sunday school the great joy of finding other believers who want to serve and get this task accomplished. And it is an absolute delight. But if you were the last congregation on earth, this is still on you. And I think it does help to realize that when Jesus spoke these words, he wasn't speaking to a big crowd. I think he was talking to the disciples. He may have been talking to, you know, a group of 120 or so. The biggest it possibly could be is 500 at once, because he says this before he goes to heaven. So it's not a big group of people. He tells his little group of people, whose teacher himself has just been killed, right? They're going to be a persecuted group right off the bat, He tells that group of people, you're going to go make disciples of every ethnos, of every people group on earth. And if I'm them, I'm thinking, how? And that's still what happens today. People think, how? So before we get in despair about that, I want to notice that this great commission, this great command is surrounded by a great provision. First in verse 18, Jesus says, all power or all authority is given unto me in heaven and in earth. This is the great provision of Christ's power. He has all authority. There's no place you'll ever go where Jesus Christ is not the ultimate authority. Isn't that wonderful? I lived in Jordan for three years under the Muslim king, Abdullah. Well, king Abdullah was raised in England, and uh, he has a lovely British accent mixed with his Arabic. In fact, it was funny, when he took the throne, he was not expected to ascend into the throne and become king. He thought it was going to be his uncle. His father changed the line of succession about a week before he died of cancer. And so, King Abdullah was not prepared to come and give a speech in Arabic. He speaks colloquial Arabic, but formal Arabic of something altogether different. And he got up there and kind of mumbled through this speech of him coming to the throne, and the whole Arab world. Went, oh no! We have an Arab king who can't speak Arabic. Uh, it was quite embarrassing. He's since improved, of course, and his English is beautiful. Uh, but when I was in the Muslim kingdom, the Hashemite kingdom of Jordan, and I was living under a king, uh, a Muslim king, Abdullah, Jesus Christ was the ultimate authority in Jordan. That's how we lived. That's how we thought. And I would gladly follow the king's dictates all the way to prison. But Jesus is the authority there. There's no place you'll ever go where Jesus Christ is not the authority. We live today under a president that I disagree with profoundly. And I think does not agree with the scriptures in, in very profound ways. Jesus Christ is the ultimate authority in this country. Jesus Christ is the ultimate authority in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Jesus Christ is the ultimate authority in your home, and your workplace. You go from one place where Jesus Christ has all authority to another place where Christ has all authority everywhere you go. Now, when I think of doing the Great Commission in the light of Jesus Christ who has authority being the one who told me to do it, well, that, that gives me some confidence. That bolsters me. He has all the authority we need to get this done. Then he says, in verse 20, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. He'll never leave us nor forsake us. We can boldly say, the Lord is my helper. Now, if that's true, he's always with me. It doesn't matter what he commands, I can do it. If you imagine I'm working at uh, one of the big tech companies, maybe Apple or Microsoft. And I'm in my cubicle, and all of a sudden the CEO knock, knocks on my, my door, my, you know, the doorway, and he walks in, he goes, Matthew, I want you to go to this city, I want you to start this company, uh, this project that we're going to do, you're in charge of everything, I stand with you, all the resources of Apple or Microsoft or whatever at your disposal, go get it done. And I'm, I'm so uh, you know, emotional about this, I get in the car, I drive home, I say to my wife, honey, I have terrible news, she says, what happened, you get fired, it's worse. The CEO told me to go to this other place to start this project, to build this company, to build this factory and this thing. And all of the authority that he has is on me. And all of his resources are with me. And he wants me to go do this. Can you believe this? And if she's a good wife, she goes, get back in the car and go to work. (laughs) Right? (laughs) What are you talking about? This is a huge opportunity. The one who's over everything has just told you to do this important job. He's just made available everything you need to get it done. Go do it. You got to be excited, even if you don't know how it's going to work, right? Sometimes we need that. You know, this is just an aside. It's wonderful to have fellowship and be with Christian fellowship. But I will say one of the things that we tend to do when we get together is cut each other slack. Uh, We do this because we're trying to be nice and caring and encouraging, but we we also do it because it makes us feel better. Because if we're all crummy together, well then, uh, we all feel a little better about it, right? The worst thing is to have one person sticking up and making everybody else look bad. (laughs) So we all kind of just descend into this sort of mediocrity, and we tend to just sort of kind of keep things going the way they are. Uh, But you know, iron sharpens iron. As a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. If we're going to be good believers who are like the Lord, disciples of His, then we need to be provoking one another to love and good works, encouraging one another to go do what we're able to do. We're able to do this. The great provision of Christ's power, the great provision of Christ's presence. If He told us to go to the moon, we could get it done. I was uh, traveling for IPM one time, went to the country of Nepal, and uh, at that time Nepal had just ceased being a Hindu kingdom. And we spent several weeks there going to different places where we have church plants. And I tell you, it was, it was so emotional to go to Kathmandu to sit in this little apartment where we're meeting for a church. And uh, the church, the nursery, the Sunday school was all in one little room. And, uh, you know, the nursery was the kids rolling around on the floor in front of their mothers. Like that was how that worked. We're all sitting on the floor and uh, we're singing hymns. And somebody starts to sing, just part of the regular song service, Amazing Grace in Nepali. And I'm sitting there on the floor with these brothers and sisters in Christ, and I'm listening to Amazing Grace in Nepali, and I'm just overwhelmed. I just start to weep. I mean, it's unbelievable. Look at what God's done. Look at how far this goes. I get back from that trip, and uh, one of the things that Nepalis have is they wear this funny little hat. It looks like a 50 diners cap. You ever seen those things, like white kind of things that waiters would wear in the diners in the 50s? It looks like that, only it's brightly colored. It has all these garish colors, like tie-dye. So you see this everywhere in Nepal. I'm in Hanover, Pennsylvania, which is not a melting pot at all. I'm sitting at a stop sign, a stoplight. It's red. I had gone out. I never do this. The lady who usually gets the mail couldn't go get it, so I went to get the mail. I'm sitting at this red light. I look across the street. I see two men standing, and I go, oh, that guy's got a Nepali hat on. That guy's got a Nepali hat on. I mean, we're in Hanover, Pennsylvania. Wait, what happened? So the light turns green. They walk towards me. I go through the light, watching them the whole way. I spin my car around. I go back towards them. I pull over. I jump out. I said, Namaste. They were like, Namaste. And I'm like, Mukti Because the only thing I know in Nepali are hymns, right? So I just start singing to them, you know? And they're like, they're laughing. And they're looking at me like, okay, who are you and how do you know that? <laughs> so they had me to their house. We had tea and we talked. We became friends. I got to bring them to church, to Pastor Burt's church, actually. And they came down to the, to the uh, Christmas program. We got to give them the gospel. And uh, we became friends. One day I'm sitting in his house and I said to him, hey, I'm going back to Nepal. Uh, I know you still have friends in the refugee camp. They had come from the refugee camp in Nepal, in Damak, which one of our missionaries served in. Um, and so I said, hey, do you have anything you want me to take back to any of your friends back there or family? He goes, yeah, I do have a gift that you could take back to my friend in the camp. I said, sure, give it to me. So he gives me the gift, and um, I fly over to India, go into Nepal, meet him with my buddy. We call his friend in the camp. We arrange to meet him. So we go into the camp. At that time, there's about 30,000 people living in these little bamboo huts with only newspaper for insulation. They're not allowed to have any cooking fires, and the UN gave them these useless solar cookers. They look like big satellite dishes They're supposed to gather the sunlight and focus it on this little pot, except there are clouds, so it's worthless, right? It doesn't do anything. So it's sitting there, they got water from a pump. That's how these 30,000 people are living for decades um, in this place. This friend brings us into his house, and we enter the door, and it's full. There's all these people. He said, this is my family. He said, my friend in America told me you were coming and said, you're the best person he ever met, and I'm to listen to anything you want to tell me. I said, well, your friend sent you a gift, but God sent you a better gift. And I preached the gospel. And they were all excited. They're coming up afterwards, and we're giving out tracks. This little girl comes up to me, and she's pointing to the track I had a picture of a manger scene. She goes, Jesus, Jesus. I'm right. Yes, honey, it's Jesus. Like, it's just a, one of those heartbreaking, amazing moments, you know, as you're giving the gospel to all these people. This old couple comes up to me. And uh, somebody says, "Hey, their kids just emigrated to the states." I'm thinking to myself, "They think I know where they live." Like, "Hello," I mean, this is a huge country. It's basically a continent. So they bring them over to me, and they're like, uh, "Yeah, their kids just emigrated to the states." It's all like, oh, congratulations. That's great. Uh, yeah, they want to know if you know where they live. I'm like, "Oh, okay. Where do they live?" It's a place called Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Have you ever heard of them? Like, yeah. Just give me their phone number. Uh, I pass it like every day. It's fine. <laughs> Here I am, I got to this place because I saw a guy with a hat because I had been in Nepal. I got back to my office, I talked to my president, I said, what God just did is harder than landing somebody on the moon to put all of that together. I I can't even understand it to make all of that work. That red light, because I was getting the mail, that guy has his hat on. Like, any little thing changes and none of that happens. I said, that's harder than getting somebody on the moon. He said, yeah, and he's doing it every day. He's doing it all the time. That's what he's doing with us. When he says he has all authority, he means it in ways we can't even fathom yet. When he says he'll never leave us, he means it. And so when we think about the Great Commission, we have to say, I don't know how, but we can do this. And then we get to watch it. And we're like, oh, that's how. Oh, you're going to take refugees from Rohingya and bring them here? Oh, that's how. You're going to have them in your church for New Year's and their birthdays, because everybody's birthday is in January 1st. I think this is so amazing. We work with refugees in, in Indianapolis, and it's the same thing. Nobody has a birth certificate. So everybody's birthday is just assigned to them when they get their passport. So everybody's birthday is January 1st. I love it. It's brilliant. God can use that? Absolutely God can use that. He uses all kinds of things like that. He has all power. He has all authority. He's told us to make disciples of all nations that we can do it. The disciples did it. The disciples started it. Turn over to Acts 2. Acts chapter 2. How do the disciples do it? Well, Jesus said, wait in Jerusalem until you're endued with power from on high. They're obedient. They actually got this right. And they're in the upper room. The Bible says they're all with one accord in one place. I can only imagine there's some things getting right in that group because prior to this, they weren't really all with one accord in one place very often. There were, there were strivings. One wanted to be over another. One thought this guy had this thing wrong. There was things going on there. A lot of that must have been resolved. We know Peter says the Judas Iscariot issue was open. Everybody knew it. So it's dealt with publicly. I, I have the tendency to think some private things were dealt with privately there in the upper room. But in any event, the day of Pentecost has fully come they're all with one accord in one place. The, promise, the promised Holy Spirit comes on them and enables them. And as they walk outside, they start giving the gospel. Look at verse number 4. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost, began to speak with other tongues, and the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men, out of every nation under heaven. Now when this was noise abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded, because that every man heard them speak in his own language. They were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these who speak Galileans? And how hear we every man in our own tongue wherein we were born. Parthians and Medes and Elamites and dwellers in Mephtamia and Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia, Phrygian, and Paphilia and Egypt and parts of Libya about Cyrene, strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. Whew. We do hear them speak in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. Now I read that bit a little bit like an auctioneer. <laughs> because I find that part of the story sort of strange now the story of the disciples being together power of the Holy Spirit going out and preaching preaching in all these languages we hear them speak in our own tongues the wonderful works of God that's the story but but juxtaposed shoved into this story is a list of all these ancient places I don't know and I'm like why would God do that why would he just list to give me a geography lesson in the middle of a really great story so I started looking at these places. If you looked at your Bible map, I don't know if your Bible map has all these places. A lot of them do in the back there. You maybe never thought to look these up. But Parthia, and the first three here, actually, Parthia, Media, Elam, those are in modern-day Iran. That's basically everything between the, uh, the Persian Gulf and the Caspian Sea, right? That's everything in there. Huh? Yeah, you got it. So all of those countries, if you're going to go to India on a land path from the Middle East, you're going to go through one of those three places, right? So they had representatives, Jews and proselytes, people from that place were in Jerusalem on this day hearing the gospel in their own language. Then you move over to the rest of this, and you've got uh, dwellers of Mesopotamia, you know that, the land between the Tigris and Euphrates rivers, that's modern-day Iraq and Syria, Kuwait, things like that, Judea, we know where that is, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, that's all modern-day Turkey, different sections of that, Egypt, we know where Egypt is, parts of Libya, it's also North Africa, Uh, that's near Cyrene, strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes, Cretes and Arabians. So if you were to put all that on a map, you would see that the Holy Spirit came down and impacted Jerusalem, and then all of these surrounding nations, all these over here in Iran, and Iraq, modern-day Turkey, Egypt, Libya, Rome, Crete, it's like a perfect wave of these surrounding nations who are here in this center of Jerusalem to hear the gospel. Why did they write this list down? I can imagine the disciples going through this day and experiencing it. And they're preaching and all these languages coming out and, and, and people getting saved. And I could hear Peter talking to John. Hey, John, this guy over here, he's from Pamphylia. Oh, yeah, that guy's over there from Crete. This guy's an Arabian. And they're like, you know what? Jesus told us to go to all nations. And we're doing it. On the first day, somebody write this down. <laughs> there it is. This is what he told them to do. And they have the weight of how are we going to do this? And they step outside and they start to do it. And this is the record. And we have to know he can do the same thing with us. You say, I don't speak all those languages. You know what's amazing? You really don't even have to anymore. Technology's gotten us to a place where we can do some amazing things across language barriers. Many, many people know English. There's no reason we couldn't at least try. I watched my friend Ben yesterday talk to somebody in the Rohingya language. I was blown away. Rohingya. Yeah, there you go. That's how I felt. It's amazing. (laughs) Languages can be learned. People can be reached. We can do this. We have to be the kind of people who think We can do this, and we're ready for it. Because the biggest disconnect is the one here. The biggest disconnect is where I'm not anticipating this. I'm not looking for it, so therefore I'm not a part of it. I almost missed that Nepali guy that day. Man, that would have been a huge, huge loss. How many other people have I almost missed? How many opportunities are passing you by every day? where you could be a part of seeing all people, all nations, become disciples of the Lord. You know, there's something else exciting about this. I I told you that there was a perfect way. Turn over to Acts 16. I'll do this bit quickly. But Acts chapter 16... We have Paul's second missionary journey. Now, you remember on his first missionary journey, Paul and Barnabas left Syrian Antioch. So, if I'm back here on my, my map, my imaginary map on my tie, we got Jerusalem here. Syrian Antioch is kind of like over, over here. They leave Syrian Antioch, go by his boat to the country of Cyprus, the island of Cyprus, which is where Barnabas was from. And so, they're working there in Barnabas' home island. They work across Cyprus and they come up to southern Turkey over here, and they kind of work back by land and come back down to Syria and Antioch and give the report. When they go on the second missionary journey, Paul and Silas undertake that. We're reading this in Acts 16. They work the opposite way. So, instead of going towards Cyprus, they actually go back up north, and they're going back to the churches that they had been with before. And as they go, they're confirming the churches and encouraging them and and seeing God work there. And it says in verse number uh, 6, Now, when they had gone throughout Phrygia and the region of Galatia, you recognize Phrygia from Acts 2, right? That was one of the places in modern Turkey where people had been uh, from, and, and they were there in Jerusalem, hearing the gospel and saved ostensibly. But they were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia. Now This is strange, right? We don't think of God stopping us from witnessing or forbidding us to do some sort of ministry. That's that's hard for us to imagine. We make it as easy as possible for people to witness. We've got tracks everywhere. We're telling people you need to witness. You need to tell us about the gospel. All that's right-headed and going in the right direction. So when the Holy Spirit tells somebody, don't preach there, I'm like, hmm, what's going on with that? That stands out to me. But it stands out even more because in the next verse, it says they were coming to Mysia. They essayed to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit suffered them not. Twice now. They want to go to Asia. No. They're trying to go to Bithynia. God won't let them. Why? Why would he do that? It says they were passing by Mysia. They came down to Troas and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. And after he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them. There's one thing about missions we have to be 100% clear on from this text. Missions is not a shotgun thing where we're just throwing everything out. Okay, we need to, they that they sow sparingly, reap sparingly, absolutely. You need to plan on sowing bountifully and reaping bountifully, 100%. But God has a specific place where he puts people. And he moves them according to his will in those places. This is what he's doing with Paul. We are not going to be good at completing the Great Commission if we are not good at following the daily leadership of the Lord in our lives. We have to follow him. We have to get used to him. A.W. Tozer wrote Lord teach me to listen The times are noisy And my ears are heavy With all the thousand sounds That are naturally born to us Give me the spirit of the boy Samuel Who said speak Lord For thy servant hears Let me get used To the speaking sound of your voice So that I might know its tones When all other sounds die, die down And the last thing left Is the music of your voice We need to get used to following the Lord The Apostle Paul gives us that example It's a good example But at the same time, we're looking at his desire to go to Bithynia, and we're thinking, why can't he go there? You know, Bithynia is an interesting place. It's one of those, uh, like a sister city kind of place, or twin cities. we got Minneapolis, St. Paul. We kind of mentioned them together. Bithynia, on your maps in the Bible, is also listed with Pontus. It's Bithynia Pontus, right? That was one of the places, Pontus was one of the places that were listed in Acts 2. So, Paul doesn't know all of this. This is many years after the Day of Pentecost event that we read about in Acts 2, but he's trying to go to Bithynia Pontus. Well, God already had somebody from Bithynia Pontus who was a witness. I don't know if that's why God told him no, but I do know that's true. Paul's trying to go to a place where there's already a gospel witness. Paul tries to go to Asia. Asia is a place listed in Acts 2 as well. You know what's not listed in Acts 2? The place that God's leading Paul, Paul's trying to go to Asia, God says no. He tries to go to Bithynia, God says no. As it turns out, the Spirit of God, unbeknownst to Paul, is driving him with laser guided precision to Macedonia, a place that wasn't listed in Acts 2, that was a gap in the wave. And Paul goes and he speaks in Macedonia. Three churches in Macedonia we got Philippi, Thessalonica, and Berea. He writes in the Thessalonicans, From you sounds out the word of God in all of Macedonia and Achaia, so that that whole gap that was there is filled up now. Isn't that awesome? God completes the wave by taking Paul specifically to that place to reach those specific people. Now, I know for sure that we take from this text, if we're going to be good, mission-minded Christians, believers who are following the Lord, we have to get used to the leadership of the Lord and following Him where He wants us to be. you got to get good at that, and you got to do it all the time. That's what the Apostle Paul shows us very clearly. But I think I can also deduce this thing. That the Lord wants us to go and get this job done. He intends for us to complete it, not dabble in it. He intends for us to accomplish it, not make some, you know, good efforts. He wants this done. When he says to the disciples in Matthew 28, make disciples of all nations, he has the list. I don't know the list. They estimate there's about 16,000 some odd people groups. Uh, is that the list he has in mind? I, I know he's got it right in his mind. <laughs> I don't have the list. I don't think the disciples had the list. But he does, and he's checking them off. Day of Pentecost, 15 nations. Pamphylia, Phrygia, Parthia, Elam, Media, Asia, Pontus. He's checking them off. He wants them all done. You know, when my wife gives me a to-do list, she doesn't want me to get some of it done. She wants it all done, Right? She wants me to go and finish the list. I'm not very good at this, by the way. Uh, but that's what her expectation is. That's why she made a list. The Lord has this, this, this group of all nations in his mind. He wants us to see it accomplished. And we need to be the kind of people who are wired that way, where we're thinking, Lord, you're going to use me to that end. To close, turn over to Revelation 5, verse 9, please. Revelation 5 and verse 9. This is a wonderful scene. We get to peer into the future and to see something about what's going to happen before the end of the church age. This is a scene around the throne of grace in Revelation 5. We see that the lamb slain comes up. To the throne. In verse 7, he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of saints. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain, and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people. And nation. It has made us under our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. This is a beautiful triumph passage. The Lamb slain receives the reward of his suffering because we go and reach all nations. What he told the disciples to do in Matthew 28, what he got started in Acts 2, what he furthered in Acts 16, what he's doing today in our midst with us with the Rohingya and with the Afghan and with the Assyrians and Yazidis and all the people God's bringing to himself, it will one day be accomplished exactly as he commanded. We labor in this not with uncertainty. We know that this will be done. The question is, will he use me? Will he use you? It's going to get done. How much a part of it will we be? Now, we can get this inflated view of ourselves and think, oh, we're going to do all of it. How about we just let him use us as much as he wants to use us? How about we're as much a part of the Great Commission as God wants us to be? Where we don't tap the brake, where we don't swerve out of fear, thinking, ah, not that much. Let's, let's take the brake off. Let's let him do this. And let's be as much a part of the Great Commission as God wants us to be. Would you stand with me, please, before the Lord? Standing together, we'll close in a word of prayer stand together and, and bow our heads, please. If we consider this text humbly, asking the Lord to teach us to us, perhaps you're here this morning and you say, I can't be a part of this. I'm not born again. I don't know. Jesus is my savior. I'm not sure if I die, I go to heaven. But I want to know this. I need to understand this. If there's anybody here this morning that says, I need to be saved, would you raise your hand? Say, I need someone to help me, to guide me. How can I know for sure that my sins are forgiven and I have a home in heaven? Is anybody like that? Say, please, someone help me. Well, then, believers, I'm going to ask you this question. Are you as much a part of the Great Commission as the Lord wants you to be? And if you're not, if God has pointed out something, some break, some hindrance, something you're slowing him down in, Would you say this morning, I want to to yield this. I want to yield my life to him. I want to be purposed. I want to be a person who's minded to look for all nations, because that's what he wants me to do. I'm asking him to forgive me. I'm asking him to guide me. And I'm yielding myself this morning. If that's your prayer this morning, would you raise your hand and say, that's me, I'm yielding myself for the Lord to use me as much as he wants me to be used in the Great Commission. Amen. We're going to have the instruments play in just a moment, and I'll let the pastor come up and, as I close in prayer. But if your heart is that way and you want to commit yourself to him, I'm going to encourage you to do that this morning. I'm going to encourage you to come forward, to commit yourself before the Lord. and Say, Lord, I'm coming. I want you to use me, and I'm looking for it. I want to see all disciples, all nations discipled. I want to be a disciple who makes disciples of all nations. Father in heaven, we thank you for this opportunity to study your word. Thank you for teaching us. Lord, we do come boldly, we come humbly. We're people with faults and weaknesses and sins. Lord, please cleanse us. Make us as usable as you want us to be. Lord, help those who've come this morning and have indicated that they want to turn their lives over as fully as you wish to this great commission effort. Are asking you to bring people to them and bring them to people and Help them to be disciples who make disciples of all nations. Lord, in just this church, there is no limit to what you can do. And you can accomplish this whole thing with just those yielded here. We don't look to be great, Lord, but we look to see your greatness. We look to see you work in a great way. We're grateful for everything you do. Now take and use us, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, Pastor.